You are listening to the Sermons Podcast of First Baptist Church, Mount Washington. Well, amen and hallelujah. Most of you know me. My name is Ben Simmons. Um, I am the Youth and Activities Minister here at First Baptist. And I just want to again say welcome. Very glad that you have chosen to worship with us this morning on this last Sunday of 2023 and the very last day of 2023. Glad you are here. I hope the expression is true this morning um, that though this is last, hopefully it will not be the least. Although if you've looked in your bulletin and noted the sermon outline, perhaps you already know that it is last but certainly not least. We will be in Colossians chapter 3 this morning, verses 1 through 17, and I'm going to begin by reading that for us. Let's turn to the Word. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Set your mind on things that are above and not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. In Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these two you once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, But Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, and bear with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of our Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Let's pray together. Father, let your word be a lamp unto our feet this morning and a light unto our path. Would your living and active word so affect us this morning? It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, this sermon is entitled, Seek the Things that Are Above. 
As I read my Bible, and I hope as you read your Bible and you spend time, I hope, with us in our fellowship, um, there's a, a little kind of expression or maybe saying or a word that we call Christianese. Has anybody heard that word? Somebody speaking Christianese to you, saying a lot of things that sound good, but you don't really know what to do with them. You don't really know how to obey them, or you don't really know how to apply them. Think many times as I read my Bible, I come across some of these statements, things that sound very important, they sound very good, they sound absolutely necessary, but yet I fail to comprehend what they mean for my life. It's difficult. Imagine if in the midst of a crisis, you approached me and we had a conversation. You said, Ben, This is what's going on. I'm seeking guidance. I'm seeking counsel. I'm seeking some answers. And I responded to you and I said, well, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Clear as mud, right? That is the right response. That is the right instruction. That is what the Bible calls us to do, to trust in the Lord. But oftentimes, that can feel like an abstract thing, hard to understand, hard to apply and follow. So when Paul says in Colossians 3, verse 1, seek the things that are above where Christ is, to me, that's one of those moments. Paul, what do you mean? How do I do that? Do I think about the throne room of God? Do I think about the Um, cherubim and the seraphim and they're circling the Lord 24-7 and saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Do I think of Christ standing, waiting to receive me with with scars in his hands and, and a piercing in his side? What do we think about? What do we do? Well, probably a duh moment for me, but I think Paul gives us the answer in Colossians 3 verses 2 through 17. So I'd encourage you to stay with me this morning as we look at seven things from Colossians 3 so that we can seek the things that are above as we prepare for this new year. Look with me at verse 2 at the first thing that we must do. Paul writes, set your mind on things that are above and not on things that are on earth. So right here is the first answer to our question. How do I seek the things above? Well, first I begin by directing my mind away from earthly things and setting it upon heavenly things. Set your mind. Now, when I was younger, this word set for me was often associated with the dinner table, okay? I would hear usually from my mom or my dad, Ben, go set the table. And that meant put the plates out, take the fork, put the fork on the left. Good job. Take the knife, put it on the right, put the napkin on the left. Good job, okay? Set the table, right? Put things in place so so that they are orderly. Now, as I moved to Kentucky, the line between the word set and the word sit has been blurred. (laughs) Now, instead of setting the table, what I often hear is, why don't you come to the table and set a while, right? Yes, so regardless of the way that you use it, what does this word mean? Okay, well, the meaning is clear. Put in place and stay in place. Well, what about you? Do you find your mind is often occupied with worldly thoughts? 
Where does your mind, where does my mind often go? Is it thoughts about yourself, thoughts about your image, about money, your problems, your solutions? What is your mind often occupied with? I love what the hymn writer says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Can I tell you guys, many times for me, the issue is feeling it, knowing it, recognizing when my mind has strayed, when my mind has wandered, when my mind has left the God I love. Is that where you are often at this morning? Through the month of December, God has made me increasingly aware of this. T.W. Hunt says in his book, The Mind of Christ, Satan knows that if he can get our attention for five seconds, he may have our mind for five minutes. How quickly we get off track. I want to take a moment to talk about 2 Corinthians 10.5. I feel it's an important verse for us to think about when we talk about our mind. Paul writes, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience. Now in 605 BC, Prince Nebuchadnezzar wins this big battle. It's called the Battle of Carchemish, okay? And after that battle, he takes Daniel, who we've been talking about in our series on Daniel, if you've been here, he takes Daniel and some of his friends captive. And in Daniel 1 verse 4, we learn that the plan for these guys was to teach them the language and the literature and the customs of the Babylonians. Now this wasn't just, we're going to learn how to read green eggs and ham, and you're going to learn how to say please and thank you, and where's the bathroom? Although you got to start somewhere, right? This was about indoctrination and conformity. We want these guys to look like us, to talk like us, to think like us, and to worship like us. So when Paul gives us this picture here, think of that. Think of if these thoughts are going to come into my mind, if they're going to try to stick around in my mind, here is what they must begin to look like. Here is the truth of the word of God that they must conform to and submit to. Take your sinful thoughts prisoner or they will take you prisoner every time. If I aim to seek Christ, I've got to start by dealing with this mind and dealing with its thoughts. Let's move on to verse 5, the second way. Paul writes, put to death what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. So the second way you and I can seek the things that are above is to put to death what is earthly in us. Ask yourself this question. If I have died to myself, Paul says here at the beginning of Colossians 3, my life is hidden with Christ. He's coming back to take me home. If that's true of you this morning, praise the Lord. Also ask yourself, how then can I allow sin to continue to live and thrive and have dominion in me? This is Paul's point in Romans chapter 6, verse 2. How can we, being dead to sin, still live in it? How can you do that? Jesus says you can't serve two masters. How can we, being dead to sin, still live in it? So Christian, you must kill the sin in your life. Don't chain it up and feed it every once in a while. This morning, I felt like 
I found an illustration for that point. My alarm went off. I turned to look at my phone. Should use an alarm clock, not a phone. Don't follow me in that respect. But turn to look at my phone. Alarm's going off, and there's a really big yellow button. And what does that yellow button say? Snooze. And there's a small gray button at the bottom. What does that button say? Stop. Yeah. Which one does it want you to press? Which one do you want to press? Snooze. I want to hit snooze. It's big. It's yellow. It's right there. Kick it down the road eight minutes. Which one do I need to press, though? Stop. But it's small. It's at the bottom of the screen. I don't want to press that one. Don't chain up sin. Don't kick it down the road. Don't feed it every once in a while. Don't allow it to remain in any measure in your life or it will continue to have dominion over you. T.W. Hunt writes, genuine conversion, it means a change of life. Not just change of life, but it means a change in our attitude and our action towards sin. Is that true in your life? Is there a change of attitude? And is it followed by a change of action? Consider this connection right now. What good does it do my mind? Okay, this mind that I'm trying to think in a holy way, this renewed pattern of thinking. What good does it do that mind if the body does not follow, right? That's not going to work out for too long. It goes the other way too, right? If my obedience is purely external, it's all just about the outward action, and it's not grounded in a first changed, renewed heart. God's given me a heart of flesh, taking out my heart of stone, and a mind that's being renewed day by day by the Word of God through the Spirit of God, then it's only skin deep, and it's going to fall apart every single time. Is that a place of frustration that you are in perhaps today? And this is the Romans 12, 1 through 2 principle. Paul says, in view of God's mercy, I'm to do what? Present my body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. In view, as I'm thinking with my mind, as I'm realizing with my mind, oh my goodness, this is who the Lord is. This is what he's done for me. Now I need to follow with a holy way of living. So this is how we seek the things that are above. It's to put to death your sin. And it is to pursue this. Jason often talks about this. This mundane, ordinary, consistent, and holy obedience here, below. That is how I seek the things that are above. Let's look in verse 9 at the third way we can seek the things above. Paul says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices, and you have put on the new self. So the third way we seek the things above is by not lying to one another. Lying is a practice of the old self. Well, why do people lie? Why do we do this? Why do we lie? Maybe we could come up with a lot of reasons, but as I was thinking through some, we lie to save our reputation. We lie to protect our status. We lie because we fear other people more than we fear God. We lie because ultimately we love and worship ourselves. So we lie to maintain control. We lie because we love ourselves. Well, why do we not lie? The Bible's pretty clear about that. God hates lying and deceitful lips. Proverbs 6, Proverbs 12. God hates those who do violence to the truth and those who exaggerate it. The practice of lying must be put to death in the true believer. And if I tell a lie, what does that say about my holy thinking? In that moment, lack thereof, right? 
what conclusion has my mind reached? You know, you must believe a lie in order to tell a lie, right? I must believe a lie first that not telling the truth is better for me than to confess and to tell the truth. You have to believe that sinning against God and against others is a better option than some earthly consequence. Notice specifically that we're not supposed to lie to one another. I want you to think about that this morning. What lies have you told your brothers and sisters in Christ? Maybe people that are in this room right now. Can I tell you the best thing you could do after this service would be to go and apologize to that person and put to death what's earthly in you? To humble yourself before them? To seek forgiveness and to be reconciled? Consider that this morning. What lies have you told today in the past year? What do you need to do to be right before the Lord? If lying doesn't exist above in heaven where Christ is, and neither can it exist in you and I. As you participate in this congregation in 2024, let me encourage you to be a close companion of the truth. Let's look at verse 12. Paul tells us, he says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. So the fourth way is to put on kind hearts. Specifically here, it's toward others. So I can't seek the things above if I'm not putting on a kind and compassionate heart towards others here below. And Paul is really pressing on something in my heart in this verse. Perhaps he is in yours as well. What basis does Paul give for this instruction? Christian, why do we do this? Why do we bear with one another? Why do we forgive one another? Why are we patient with one another? Why are we kind and compassionate towards one another Well, Paul lays it out in verse 12. He says, Christian, you were chosen by God. You were called to be holy, loved by God from eternity. So be compassionate towards the people around you. Basically, in view of God's great mercy and kindness towards you, be kind to others when they treat you well and when they don't. Jesus says in Luke 6.36, be merciful to others as your Father in heaven has been merciful to you. So the Lord's mercies are new for me every morning, but yet my mercies cannot be new for the people around me? Is that acceptable to the Lord? Paul says in verse 13, bear with one another. If one has a complaint against another, do what? Forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive If one has a complaint against another, do what now? Go complain to your friends? No, not quite. Use your self-proclaimed spiritual gift of gossip? No, not that either. One has a complaint against another. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. How has the Lord forgiven you? What does Romans 5.8 tell us? While we were yet sinners, what happened? Jesus waited until we had cleaned up our act. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Isaiah 53 says his soul makes an offering for guilt. When was that offering made? When was forgiveness extended to you? When was it extended to me? While we were yet sinners, why then do I, do you withhold forgiveness in our heart? 
Have you noticed that seeking the things above looks a lot like living faithfully here below? In verse 13, it looks a lot like loving other people and doing life with other people. A mentor of mine in college, his name is Kyle Seeger, um, he once told me, he said, Ben, you can go up on the mountain and you can play your drum with Jesus, but you got to come down and practice with the people here below. The point in that being, I cannot live a Christian life where I reject the community of the church, I reject fellowship with others, and I think that here I am with a holy mind set on the Lord. That's not the picture of the Christian life that Scripture gives us. Seeking the things here below never looks like ignoring the people God has placed in your life and in your church. It never looks like isolation or being unkind towards them. And guys, it's hard not to run away and isolate. When we are hurt, when we are wronged, that's the temptation. But God calls us to show mercy as he has shown us mercy. God calls us to forgive as he has forgiven us. Let's look in verse 15a, kind of the first part of 15. This is the fifth way we can seek the things above. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called in one body. So the fifth way to seek the things above is to let peace rule. Let there be peace in the body of Christ. It reminds me of a song that I sang in all district choir um, in high school. Let there be peace in the valley for me. Let there be peace, Lord, in your people, in your church. Is there anxiousness in heaven? No. Is there sinful fear in heaven? There is not. Is there division? How can there be anything but peace then in the presence of Christ? If peace rules above, let us fight for it to rule here below. First, me, Lord. Start with me. Let peace rule in me. Then let it rule in my family. Let it rule in my church. Let it rule in my community. Let it rule in my class. Let it rule in the office. Let it start here in my heart and then go out from that. Before you start fighting for peace, know this morning that you will not have peace in your heart if you are not a believer. Peace is not going to rule in your heart if you do not know Christ. So I would ask you today, as you think about 2023, and if you think about a great lack of peace in your heart, and there is a lack of peace in your heart today, could it be that you do not know Christ? Jesus says in John 14, 27, my peace I give to you, but what? But not as the world gives. Do you know the peace of Christ today? Jesus made peace possible for you. By shedding his blood on the cross, will you turn from sin today? Believe in the good news of the gospel, salvation and forgiveness offered to you freely by the Prince of Peace. The Bible also says in Isaiah 57 too, those who walk uprightly enter into peace. So if you are a Christian in the room today and you are living in unrepentant, willful, habitual sin, are you going to be at peace no. If you are willfully sinning against the Lord, unwilling to repent, turn from your sin. Think of 1 John 1, 5-7. God is light in Him. There is no darkness. If we say we walk in the light, 
the truth is not in us. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin and we have fellowship with one another. Is that what you need to do this morning? It's to humble yourself before the Lord, to confess your sins, to be right with him, possibly to seek a conversation with somebody else to share your sin struggle with them. Can I tell you that letting peace was not in itself a peaceful task? Letting peace rule is not a peaceful task. Paul tells us in Colossians 1 verse 20 how Jesus achieved peace. And it was by the blood of his cross. By violent death, by crucifixion, by humiliation. And I would tell you that today the path to peace in your heart begins with a violent denial of self. A taking up of your cross and a following of Christ. Let's look at verse 15b at the sixth way we can seek the things that are above. Three words. And be thankful. Seek the things above through thankfulness. A peaceful heart is a thankful heart. I think a thankful heart is a peaceful heart. And I know very well that an ungrateful and a discontent heart does what to peace? Stay away from me. It drives it far away. 1 Thessalonians 5.16, what difficult words these are. Rejoice always. Give thanks in all circumstances. I routinely find that expressed gratitude, what I mean by that is turning to the Lord and saying, Lord, thank you for this. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for the many blessings that you have afforded to me, of which none of them do I deserve. This is the best way to set my mind on the things that are above. When I tell the Lord I'm thankful, whose eyes or where am I not looking? Right, we call it, I'm not looking at my belly button. I'm not navel gazing, right? My eyes are towards the Lord. Thankfulness is a sure way to take my mind off of the things of this world and to set it on things that are above, to get it off of myself. And church, be thankful first and foremost for Jesus Christ. Paul tells us in Colossians chapter one, in everything, Christ must be preeminent. Is he first in your thankful heart? Start there today. So the psalmist writes in Psalm 103 two, praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Take a moment today before you step into 2024, look back at 2023 and say, Lord, I'm not going to forget all of your benefits. Thank you for how you have dealt bountifully with me. Give thanks to the Lord and watch as your mind is no longer set on the things of this world, but it is set on the Lord. Does this kind of gratitude ever come up in your conversations with other people? This is something that I've needed to challenge myself on recently. Do you ever find yourself talking with someone, anyone, and you can't help but say, you know what? The Lord has been so good to me recently. Look what he did here. You know, the Lord has been so kind to me this morning. This happened. Does that come up in your conversations? Are you overflowing with that kind of thankfulness? Are you symptomatic of a thankful heart? Or is it often the opposite? 
I'm going to read two verses of a song that meant a lot to me my junior year of college. My heart is filled with thankfulness to him who walks beside. He floods my weaknesses with strength and he causes my fears to fly. His every promise is enough for every step that I take. He sustains me with arms of love. He crowns me with grace. My heart is filled with thankfulness to him who reigns above. His wisdom is my perfect peace. His every thought is love. Every day I have on earth is given by my king, so I will give my life, my all, to love and follow him. Let's look in verse 16, the final way we can seek the things that are above. Paul writes, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another with thankfulness in your heart to God. So the seventh way we can seek the things above is to let the word of God dwell. Let the word dwell. Devote yourself to the reading of this book, to the memorization of this book. Let the words of the Bible come into your life, into the decision that you make, into the problems that you have, into the dreams and goals that you have, into your current suffering. Let the Word of God dwell in your life. And church, I'm sure you know this as well as I do, but the Word of God will not dwell where it is not prioritized, obeyed, and loved. Let the word of God dwell in your life. Psalm 119.9. Some of my guys who are here this morning know this one. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Verse 11. I have hidden your word in my heart that what? That I might not sin against you. I see two results from verse 16 and 17 that inevitably come when God's word dwells richly in a person and in a congregation. The first is this, where the word of God richly dwells, it will be shared. Where the word of God dwells, it will be shared. If God's word is richly dwelling in your life, in some way, in some context, it's going to come out of you. Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Where God's word is shared, it will be shared for the purpose of teaching, correcting, encouraging, training in righteousness so that the people of God may be complete and ready, equipped for every good work. Is the word of God flowing out of you? Is it richly dwelling in you? Not when you just come to church, but when you correct your children, when you talk to your coworkers, when you talk to your friends, when you respond to problems, is God's word richly dwelling in you? Do you know the Bible? Remember that my words and your words, they are not living and active. Would we be like Peter who says, where else do we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. If the word of God is not coming out of you in some measure, if you're not driven to share the words and the verses in this book, then would you think today is God's word richly dwelling in me? 
And I would say this, be careful to play the part of a wise and discerning Christian teacher if God's word is not richly dwelling within you. That's why the Bible tells us to be slow to speak and to be careful if we are teachers. Here's the second result. When the word of God richly dwells in a person and in a congregation, we cannot help but sing to the Lord. Psalm 33, 1, sing for joy in the Lord, O you righteous ones. Why? Because praise is becoming to the upright. It fits. It belongs there. If Christ has saved you, if he has redeemed you, praise is becoming to you. Psalm 51, 15, I will open my mouth and declare your praise. Psalm 30, verse 12, I will not be silent. I will sing to you, Lord, you are my God. I will give thanks to you forever. If God's word is richly dwelling in you, you will not be able to keep silent. You will not be able to not sing to the Lord. I know some here today may say, well, Ben, that's easy for you to say, but I'm not much of a singer. Singing is not really my thing. I get that. But I would ask you this morning, are you much of a sinner? Have you been shown much grace? Does your soul know much deliverance? Does God take thought for you even though you are poor and needy? Did he become poor for your sake that by his poverty you might become rich? Did Jesus bear your burdens? Was he punished for your iniquities? Was he crushed for your transgression? Does he keep you as the apple of his eye? Does he hide you in the shadow of his wing? Does he surround you with shouts of deliverance? Does he crown you with steadfast love and faithfulness? Are his mercies new for you every morning? Did he rise again and give you victory over sin? Do you have eternal life and bright hope for tomorrow in Christ? Then my friends, we have a reason to sing. Phil Wickham writes, I I love the chorus in the song that he writes. He says, for the cross that you bore and the debt that you paid for the promise that heaven is waiting for me, this is the reason I sing. It has nothing to do with your ability to match pitch and everything to do with the Savior who died and rose again so that you and I might have newness of life. That is why we gather. That is why we sing. So if you show up on Sunday morning and suffer through music like a zombie, unless maybe we're singing your favorite song and then you're all in, right? I get it. That's me too sometimes. Ask yourself this. Could it be that God's word has not dwelled richly in me throughout the week? And therefore, I do not have a desire to praise the Lord and to sing his truth back to him. Consider that as you go into this new year when you show up on a Sunday morning as God's word dwelled richly in you throughout the week. You know this song, there's within my heart a melody. Jesus whispers sweet and low, fear not, I am with thee. Peace be still in all of life's ebb and flow. Jesus, Jesus, sweetest name I know, fills my every longing and does what? Keeps me singing as I go. As we close this morning and prepare to sing to the Lord and also to one another, I want us to keep something at the front of our minds. The last thing that I want to do this morning is point you mainly to a list of seven things you need to do and be successful at. 
I want to point you as the writer writes in Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, looking to who? Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. That's where our eyes need to go this morning. They need to go to the Son who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Look to Christ. Remember, as you work out your salvation, Christian, through fear and trembling, that it is God who works in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. Remember that apart from him, you and I can do nothing. Look to Christ today. For the person in the room that does not know the peace of Christ, the peace of Christ doesn't ruin your heart and it never has. Could it be this morning that you haven't been raised with Christ? You have not been born again. You have not been saved. Paul says in Colossians 1, 22 through 23, he says, Christian, continue firm and steadfast, not wavering from the hope that was held out to you in the gospel. I want to hold out that hope to you this morning. That hope is Christ. There is no other name by which you can be saved. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Why would you wait to turn from your sin and to trust Christ? I will be down front over here um, during the invitation. Pastor Jason will also be down front. And if you sense that the Lord is working in your heart and you would like to have a conversation about that, please do not leave this room without doing that. Please do not put that off. We would love to talk and to pray with you. Let's pray and then let's sing. Father, would you do a work in my own heart? And would you do a work in the hearts of each person in this room that we would be seekers of things above? Would we be a thankful congregation? Would we be a holy congregation? Would we be a kind and compassionate congregation? Christ, help us as we respond in worship to look to you to have our eyes focused on you. Would you turn our eyes to the things that are above? Let the things of this world grow strangely dim. It is in your name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I'm Pastor Jason Clark. And if you don't have a church home, I want to personally invite you to First Baptist Mount Washington. We're striving to be word-centered, gospel-focused, and community-minded. Learn more about our church and our meeting times from our website, fbcmw.org.